Keep your Bibles open. We're in 1 John chapter 3, 11 through 15. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Amen, dear saints. You may be seated. We're continuing in this thrilling third chapter of 1 John. We'll have several more sermons, Lord willing, coming out of this chapter. But before we look at it and get fed Jesus today, of course, let's pray. Father, we pray before we eat, and today we're praying that we would feast on Jesus. You've commanded your ministers to speak the truth in love, to always speak the truth, to say the things that your word commands to be said. May it be, though, Lord, that we see everything that we hear today in Jesus and understand that he is the very personification of love. Grant us a full measure of him today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the Apostle John, under the direct inspiration of the Blessed Holy Spirit, employs a love-hate-love-hate pattern here in the five verses that make up today's scripture lesson. We see the word love in verse 11. We find hates in verse 13, the word love two times in verse 14, and hates in verse 15. So the issues of love and hate, of course, are extremely central to every created being's, rational being's response to all human and angelic actions because all acts are ultimately moral and spiritual. So we are compelled as creatures made in the image of God to react to everything, either in love or in hate. And we'll explain some of that more as we go along. One of the actually great key practical principles for Christian living is to know whom and what to love, and also conversely to know whom and what to hate. Now, thankfully for us, the great emphasis is on love, and the church is constantly called to love, as, for instance, what we see in the great commandment, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and spirit, as in Mark 12, 28 to 31, and our neighbor is ourself. But also, in order to be good lovers, we must also be good haters. And this is an important biblical doctrine. Not popular, very politically incorrect, but any honest, intelligent reader of the Bible cannot miss it. And for example, Psalm 139, verses 21 and 22, is just one of many great references concerning that. Now again... The two uses of the word hates in this text today are not for us. They are completely wrong uses of the word hates. But we're looking at this very 
dynamic, this theological paradigm from a higher perspective and getting an overall view of it as we also incorporate the actual teaching of these verses. So this is going to be a very exciting sermon without doubt today. The principle of love and hate, though, isn't just for us. It's also for God himself. And that's clearly true in any candid and honest reading of the holy book. We see it over and over again. Therefore, let's make it our gospel goal today, by the grace of God, to love God and all good and hate sin and all evil. With this in mind, we're going to study together 1 John 3, 11 through 15. Title of the sermon, it's a simple one, Love and Hate. The doctrine, true love, is the supreme emblem of all regenerate Christians. And don't forget that. It's really love that's the biggest thing. That's what God will have from his people. And love is the goal of faith. And from love comes every good and acceptable action that we ever do for the glory of God. So love is everything. It's huge in the Christian life. And there is a very important difference, however, between true love and all false imitations that are foisted upon us by the world, the flesh, and even the devil. So the world likes to talk a lot about love, but knows nothing at all about it, because true love is the person of Jesus Christ himself and everything good that flows from him. Anything not directly connected to Jesus Christ is not love. It is impossible for it to be love. All true love is Christ Jesus and everything flowing from him through his church, through and to the rest of all creation itself. Hence, let us both relish and also take responsibility for the glorious fact that true love is the supreme emblem of all regenerate Christians. But human love must be understood against the backdrop of hate and the world. Now, this wasn't always the case with the history of humankind. Back before the fall of Adam in the Garden of Eden, where he thrust all of us into sin and death, there was no hate at all. There was no hate among human beings. There was no hate that sinners had for God. There was no hate at all. There was a time in human history where this wasn't the case, where there was no such thing as hate in any relationship, most notably with God. In fact, I would even argue that we didn't even hate Satan until after he deceived our first parents and cast us into this state of misery, sin, death, and slavery to himself, which all people outside of Christ are, are condemned to. But not forever, if God would call them out of that by his grace and the calling of the gospel and the work of the ministry of the church. Only upon the occasion of the merciful God's introduction of the covenant of grace, seen explicitly in Genesis 3:15 and 21, did we, the elect people of God's church, then finally have to assume the rightful posture of being those who both love and hate. So it's after the inauguration of the covenant of grace which was totally fulfilled in Jesus Christ, that we become those who have to love and hate. Now we live in a fallen universe. The world you live in is fallen, so that it's sinful, it's in rebellion against God. 
But it is also the world into which the incarnation of love himself has come in Jesus Christ. And believe it or not, just next month we're going to be celebrating the advent of our Lord Jesus. We were just talking about it a little bit earlier. Love has entered this dark, dead, rebellious, God-hating universe. And this reality means that we, as the church militant on earth must learn to be expert lovers and haters. Now, again, I know that that's maybe an unusual message for you to hear, although you've heard it from this pulpit before. And today we'll flesh it out a little bit more. You'll understand. By the time we're all done, you'll get it. So, human love must be understood against the backdrop of hate and the world. Nevertheless, in Christ, agape love overcomes them both in the church. In other words, what we're saying is that supernatural, saving, miraculous, heavenly, agape love overwhelms the rightful objects of our hate, which are all in one form or another wrapped up in this world, this fallen universe that's dead set against Christ as church and as gospel. We are told explicitly in 1 John 2.15, which we studied a while ago, we're told explicitly, do not love the world. But all of you who know your Bible very well are also very familiar with the very famous words that came from the same author, humanly speaking, and that's John 3.16, where the apostle quotes Jesus as saying, God so loved the world. So how do we, do we need to, but let's assume we do, reconcile these two verses. 1 John 2.15 is talking about the world system that is set against God. He uses the very word cosmos there in 1 John 2.15. And John 3.16, using that same word, cosmos, is in relation to elect sinners that will come from all over the world, would represent every single race, nation, color, creed, or not creed, but place, any, anything to do with human beings, there would be elect people brought into the one holy Catholic and apostolic church in Jesus Christ as the head. So that is a beautiful thing. Today, we, the members of the faithful church, live in the God-ordained, I say it again, God-ordained tension of these two great realms, or using Augustine's word, cities. So you live in this tension, so do I. We sense it, we feel it, because we're in the city of God, and yet the city of the world is all mixed in it with us too. So these two great societies, cultures, communities, are always in this sort of weird dance and tension. And that's where we are, and that's okay, because God is with us in it, in Jesus Christ. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And so he's called us to this. It's not easy, there's no question, but it is the reality. We both love and we hate, and the objects and targets before us are always moving all the time. There is room for both love and hate, but with clear, obvious hearts, we would say we prefer love any day. And we do, but because we live in a fallen world, we'll find out why We need to exercise both. Now let's look at the verses, 11 through 15, chapter 3, 1 John, and consider together how 
Love and hate relate to the heart. After all, the heart is the seat of all our emotions and feelings. Unlike our triune God, who has no perturbations of emotional turmoil, because in his pure deity he is impassable, i.e. not endowed with changeable emotive feelings, we are given to such things. So we do have to deal with these things, even though God in his pure being is not in any way perturbed by them. So it is our hearts, then, that must be harmonized with the heart of God. And that's a great challenge. The heart of God, perfectly expressed and incarnated in his heart, the one given to us, Jesus Christ our Lord, the very face of God, the exact imprint of the image of who God is, our hearts are to harmonize. So let us now better learn how love and hate relate to the heart. First, A heart of faith loves righteousness and loathes evil, verses 11 and 12. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So Cain and Abel are two of the earliest paradigms in the Bible of love and hate. Abel loved God and brought to God an acceptable offering or sacrifice prefiguring the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. Cain hated God and killed his elect brother Abel. And why? Why did Cain kill his elect brother? Because Abel's heart was regenerate in Christ and Cain's heart was fallen in Adam. Again, Abel's heart was regenerate in Christ, and Cain's heart was fallen in Adam. On top of all this, John opens today's lesson with the words of verse 11, which I've actually chosen to be our key verse, which say, this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now, That reference to the beginning is not just the beginning of the gospel or the New Testament church, probably is a hearkening back all the way to the beginning of the creation. And of course, Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel, their first two children, in this case, sons. So the heart of faith supernaturally loves righteous, i.e. loyal and faithful Christian churchmen, loves them, those who are faithful in Christ, but at the same time, the heart of faith necessarily hates wickedness. And even those people who self-consciously propagate such wickedness, especially against God's church, his own people. Now that may seem a little self-serving, but it's not. It's actually biblical. It's not an easy thing for a pastor to wean God's children off the false and miserable, mindless teaching of so much religion, not only today but throughout the ages, that asks truly converted human beings to do the impossible and the God-dishonoring task of only loving all the time and never hating. Number one, that's impossible. Number two, that's God-dishonoring. And number three, it's not biblical. And number four, it isn't good. 
The number five, that's not realistic, and I could give you a bunch of other numbers, but I'll stop at that. Five's a nice number. So I'm here to try to help you, the enlightened, humble souls that make up the Redeemer Church, to understand that this Bible, this world, makes more sense than you might think. If you were just to listen to the religious world, the evangelical world particularly, uh, you'd never get it. And you'd constantly be in the state of tension, saying, yeah, but that's not what the Bible says. That isn't true. That can't be right. It doesn't make sense. So how do I properly handle my feelings, my emotions, my convictions, my principles? How do I do that in a God-honoring way? Well, that's what we're learning today. Indeed, we are. By the grace of God, this loving and hating can be done properly. It can be accomplished. And it must be done when the God of heaven and earth is truly loved. So if, we, if we're serious about our love for God, got to do both. Got to love who and what he loves and hate who and what he hates. Otherwise, we're treasonous against the God of heaven and earth. It's a serious matter, I know it is. How love and hate relate to the heart. A heart of faith loves righteousness and loathes evil. And a heart of life loves believers and disdains the world system, verses 13 and 14. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So there are two different worlds here. Remember I tell you the city of God, city of man, we're seeing this here right now. And again, both references to hates in this text are not the kind of hates that we're to employ. I want to be clear about that. Here, obviously, in verse 13, the world hates us. You know, one of the unique and surprising advantages of living in a corrupted and collapsed culture in which we reside, for instance, here in America today, is that the hatred of the world for God's elect Christian churchmen is so vivid, so obvious, and so palpable. No one can miss it. I mean, in the old days, you might be able to fake it or sort of pretend, but now it's right out there. It's complete. I mean, you've got the black and the white. You've got the good and the bad. You've got the right and the wrong. It's very clear, true and the false. That is a sort of an advantage because now there is no sense of false security or being in sort of a, a state of abeyance, sort of in between. The worlds are getting clearer the cities of God, the city of man. That's not all bad. That's actually quite advantageous for us. So in this very context and heart of the consternation that we live in, true believers still love one another, and we read that in verse 14a. So the world goes on in hating us, but we keep loving each other. Now, Christians that are, as per verse 13 here, surprised that the world hates them have probably been misled along the way, and I want to have some compassion on them. So let's say a new Christian, old Christian, been around, they find out the world hates them, and they're surprised. And John says here, you know, don't be surprised that the world hates you. Yeah, right there in verse 13. It's okay to be surprised. That's a forgivable thing. 
God's not going to hold that against anyone, but we have to move beyond that. We have to grow in our maturity and our understanding. It's okay to be surprised, but what is, what is inexcusable is to do as so many false Christians do and seek to make alliances with the world, build bridges to the world, and seek to be loved and accepted by the world. This is high treason against God, at least among true saints. Now, among false Christians, formal Christians, hypocrite Christians, whatever, yeah, we would expect that. But that's not even possible among a true saint. We never build bridges to the world. It only introduces poison and corruption. We love the world. We're the church. We have walls, but we also have gates. The point is we invite people through the gates, through the gates of the gospel, the person of Jesus, the church, the sacrament, the means of grace. We invite them in, and we go out. It's not a fortress We go out and take the world. It is a headquarters for our advancement of the gospel in the world. That's the picture that we're to make. Now, I understand people, sometimes they probably have good intentions in doing these things, but it's lethal because it introduces all kinds of pollution and heresy. We have plenty of room to love in the redeemed church. There's no lack. There's plenty of room. And if we've all filled up the love tank in the church, it'll spill out into other Christians elsewhere, the church elsewhere. And from there, it spills out into the world too. But we keep this priority and this order all the time. We do not need to prostitute ourselves in an effort to gain the world's affection. We just don't need to do that. We have no need to do it. It's not necessary. And it never works. If the gospel is going to go forth, it will always happen because the church is true, spirit-filled, loving, doctrinally pure, in love with Jesus Christ and desire to grow in grace and knowledge of him. It's the only way. Do you want to know this morning whether you are in life or in death? If so, look at verse 14 again. Lovers of Jesus and his church people are in life, who is Christ himself. Everyone else is in death. How love and hate relate to the heart. A heart of faith loves righteousness and loathes evil. A heart of life loves believers and disdains the world system. And finally, a heart of grace loves sinners but condemns the wicked. Verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So I actually think that John is probably referring back to verse 12 here when he's talking about the murderer again. That would be Cain murdering Abel. And there is here also this very fact that it's impossible for a true Christian to hate his brother or sister. It's just not possible. What it does do is it exposes that person for who he or she really is, but it's just not possible. What John is referring to here, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, that person is a, a false Christian at best. It doesn't exist. He does use the word brother. But keep in mind that if he is hearkening back to Cain and Abel, don't forget that they were brothers. 
at least in the flesh, if not brothers in the greater sense of the family of God and the church of Christ. But I do think this dual archetype or this program we see here in this verse still applies to us and is useful for us. In other words, we, the redeemed church members, are to love people appropriately with regard to who they are and where they are. We can and should love the people in the world. Let me say that again. We can and should love the people in the world, but it must be done properly. It must be done the way God does it, at least from our human vantage point, that he endows us with the the gifts and the ability to do it. We're to love the people in the world, even those who are currently incapable of being our true brothers and sisters in Christ. But we supremely love the people who are loyal and faithful in the church. Now, you may have noticed this morning and over the years, when I pray, I always pray first and foremost for the faithful members of the church. They come first because that's the way Jesus prayed. That's the way God operates. That's always been God's program. And I would encourage you to do the same thing. Pray for the unfaithful members of the church too. But don't put them at the top of the list. Always pray for the faithful, loyal members of the church first. Again, that sounds a little self-serving. It's not. It's the way Jesus operated and the way we are to do And Paul did it as well. And if you read the epistles or any parts of the New Testament oral, for that matter, you'll see that pattern over and over. These brothers and sisters we love in the highest and most significant sense. So, if this is the case, where does hate come in here, in this messy and sometimes complicated equation? Well, I would say it shows itself against those who deliberately and self-consciously are seeking to destroy the church, wreck her, bring public disgrace upon the people of God. Those who are the warriors of Satan and are proud of it. And that could take all kinds of forms, murder, sodomy, a blasphemy, heresy. There's all kinds of things like that. And, and there is an appropriate place. These people take up arms against Jesus, his church, his gospel. We oppose them. And that's the way it's supposed to be. But we do it in love and hate. Let's do a little more doctrinal application here today and see if we can work this even further into our hearts and understand it even more and comprehend why issues of love and hate are inescapable in this world. I-N-E-S-C-A-P-A-B-L-E. Inescapable. Why is that the case? I already told you, you're made in the image of God. You make judgments. Now, hopefully there's no one here like this, but let's say there's somebody who may still foolishly think that he or she can skirt the issues of love and especially hate. Well, I'm here to tell you, that isn't possible. It's impossible, and we're better off facing it and and doing it the right way, the way that honors God. There is no way out of the love-hate situation. You inevitably love and hate. And yes, yes, this applies to real human beings. Uh, Maybe some of you are tempted to remember that silly ditty we used to hear. Hate the sin, love the sinner. No, 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 that's just not right. Part of it may be right, but in the bigger picture, no, it's not right. 
There are some in our culture today who call other people haters when all along they willingly blind themselves to the fact that they are the bigger haters and probably the worst ones. But we're willing to give them that that grace. They call us haters. We know they're haters. The real problem is not hate. The problem is the object of hate. If the object of hate is Jesus, that's bad. If the object of hate is wickedness, that's good. So that's what it comes down to. Nevertheless, for all of us, even all of us here today, we must face the reality of why issues of love and hate are inescapable in this world. I'm just telling you, you you can't get out of it. Any more than you can live without breathing air. You can't get away from this. First, because God's honor and glory must be upheld by us. Now, we're shifting gears a little bit here now, dealing with a larger and more important program. And that is the honor and glory of our triune God in and through Jesus Christ. Regenerate Christian churchmen have no choice but to love God in Christ and hate everything and everyone brazenly set against him. This explains the stress and tension in which all of us live every day as the cities of God and the cities of the world twirl into each other and bump into each other and intersect and create all kinds of perturbations of heart and trouble of mind. It's okay. It's part of Christian living. It's messy. It's complicated. Nobody said this was easy. There are no super clean lines. Lines are cleaner because of wickedness. That's not a bad thing. We don't like wickedness. But at least we can see it more easily in many ways. Simply because God's honor and glory must be, must be defended by us at all times and in every way, at every turn, every case. The pastor can't fail to do that. I must tell you, you shouldn't fail to do that. Just because we must and will, if we're regenerate, love God, defend his honor and glory, Not that he needs our defense, but it's who we are. And if you love someone, don't you wish to defend them? Don't you wish to take care of them? Don't you wish the best for them? Don't you wish their name to be honored and glorified or esteemed in a proper way, of course? God's people must be loved by us, and God's enemies must be opposed by us. Now, this takes nothing away from kindness, compassion, love, Mercy, gentleness, tenderness, even patience with the people in the world. It does not take that away. All of us who are in Christ, all of us, in one form or another, even if we're covenant children, can in our hearts of hearts remember in one way or another what it is and what it means to be in rebellion against God and to hate him. If we have never come to realize that in sense of who we are in our dead lostness, because we have no righteousness, no goodness, no justice, if we never ever come to that understanding, at least in our memory, in our collective spiritual chronology of our history, even as it reaches all the way back to the Garden of Eden, 
then we'll never really appreciate the gospel very much. We'll always think, oh, I was always kind of good. I sort of like God and God and I have always gotten along. No, it's not true. Every human being conceived is conceived under condemnation and wrath of God in that first sin. And everyone conceived before regeneration hates God and everything to do with him. That includes every one of you and me. The only exception to this rule is Jesus Christ, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and is not burdened with original sin like you and I are. But, you know, I just told you that we all can remember what it means to hate God and to be in rebellion against him. And if we can't, we should go home today and ask God to show us that. But all of us who are in Christ here today also know that somebody somewhere, ultimately it came from God through the pulpit, but maybe in the life of a campus minister or somewhere else, somebody somewhere evangelized us. Somebody somewhere told us about Jesus after the Holy Spirit regenerated us so that when we hear that message, that preaching, that gospel, we immediately accede to it. We connect to it because we're regenerate. Someone somewhere did that. Therefore, that becomes our initial and a most positive and most desirous object in this world is to be those people. Okay. Is to be those who bring that gospel to others. Who take what they hear from the pulpit and bring it to other people. Share Jesus with them. And invite people to church so that they can also hear the gospel. It's a beautiful thing. Why issues of love and hate are inescapable in this, in this world? Because God's honor and glory must be zealously upheld by us, the ones who esteem Christ over every created being. That includes angels, other human beings, everything. You know, the reason I must speak the truth to you and preach the way I do to you and the way... The reason we worship God on Sunday the way we do is for a reason. It's not to entertain us or make us feel good or to draw big crowds. It's to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. It's to do what pleases Him. Our entire goal in this world as the church militant is to please our glorious God in Jesus Christ. And if this means displeasing the world, then so be it. Not that we are going out seeking to displease the world. We don't need to do that. All we need to do is be faithful as the church and we'll displease the world. But that's okay. Because those elect in the world will be drawn to Jesus through our faithfulness. And especially our love. This teaching also helps us order our loves right too because... Even though we, we emphasize love in this equation and hate, but let's talk about love here. We recognize that there are orders in love. The Son of God, the first object of our love, through his human nature, ushers us into love for the three persons of the Holy Trinity. 
the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and their glorious deity. Then we love the church, the faithful, loyal members of the church, those who are showing themselves to be covenantally perfect by the grace of God by simply being the church, being willing to submit to teaching and gospel preaching like this, being willing to sit at a table, to take a day of the week and give it to God, to worship him, and then to really be effective in the world. It's a beautiful and wonderful life. It helps us order our loves right, because after we love God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the members of the church, we love other people who aren't in the church. And then we love animals and plants and inanimate things. All of these things there's a place for. As long as we do it in the proper order, it avoids idolatry. And Jesus Christ is the first object of our love. By loving him, however, we also share his passion and his perspective on all things and all people. Our highest and best love must go to God through Christ. But the great issue of love and hate really was settled 2,000 years ago in the greatest events that ever happened in the history of reality. Divine history, human history, world history, created history, redemptive history, church history. The greatest events. God demonstrated his hatred for our sin by putting it all on his beloved, pristine, perfect son whom he loved and looked upon him as if he was that sin so that Jesus Christ bore that sin for the elect members of the church so that their sins could and would be forgiven because someone else, a perfect sacrifice substitute, vicarious atonement, bore that sin for them. The hatred of God for sin was poured out. The wrath of God was poured out on his son. The condemnation of God was poured out. The damnation, the hell of God was poured out on his son for the elect members of the faithful church, the loyal ones. But the love of God was perfectly demonstrated three days later when Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And in his resurrection, he secured for us our justification. That was the final capstone of this glorious work of atonement. The saints now are justified, forgiven, cleansed, washed, renewed. It's a beautiful and glorious gospel. What's our response to be? to God for this. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love for the triune God and his people. And from there, proper love and hate flowing from that perspective. Beloved, love and hate are two sides of the same spiritual coin. Have you ever thought of that? You know that faith and repentance are, so are love and hate. Let us be those who know how to properly love and hate. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is very clear on this issue. We recognize that it's something that sinners uh, hate, but it just shows that they hate. Uh, We do too. 
We want to be those who love you in Jesus Christ and hate what you hate. Grant us mercy and wonder and kindness as we consider this sermon today, as we ruminate on it, as we take the rest of this chapter into account, as we recognize that love really is the great thing, the thing that we're looking for and enjoying, but for it to be real, authentic, and God-honoring, we must have your perspective. Now you've given us the perfect one, Jesus. May we love him with all our hearts. We pray in his name. Amen.